Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's Thanksgiving week. We're re- recording here, what, it's Wednesday night, just hours until Thanksgiving. You got any uh, You got any big plans for Thursday? Uh, well, I have to work the day job, which is like pretty Oof. upsetting, yeah. Um, Ouch. So I'll be doing that to some degree in the morning from home, thankfully. Uh Got some family coming in the afternoon. Going to watch some football, obviously. NFL's got a bunch of games going on tomorrow. Uh, drinking quite heavily, I'd assume. And then, um, yeah, just hanging out. Enjoying, yeah, exactly. Hanging out and enjoying the uh, company of my family. So that'll be good. It'll be a good day. Hopefully uh, pretty relaxing and uh, a nice break. Very good. Very good. Yeah, my wife is going to start the morning by running a 5K with her sister, uh, I'm going to start by walking a 5K with her parents, um, so that'll be a good start. Um, and then, yeah, we're just going to go hang out with her uh, her family all day, and surely there will be drinking and eating and football and all those good things that usually come along with Thanksgiving. So I uh, hope everybody out there listening has, uh, has plans and is going to have a great day on Thanksgiving. You know, we're getting this out a little bit late, so if you're listening to this and it might be a little later, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, if you are listening to us while you are Black Friday shopping, please don't fight anybody. And if you do fight somebody, please get it on video and share it with us. Uh, you can hit us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel ACC. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, so make sure you're taking vines if you see people fighting in stores and stuff, because we we would like to see it. But and if they're Miami please. fans, all the better. Oh, absolutely, Miami fans fighting uh, seems like a tradition unlike any other. So. Uh, if you if you get any videos of that and you want to send them to us on Twitter, please do. Miami uh, fandom. Please avoid fight. Please avoid fighting yourselves. Miami Miami fandom and the Masters one of the same, right? Tradition unlike any other. Oh, I could see a huge crossover in Miami fans and people who watch and attend the Masters. <laughs> Moving on, uh, Mike. Before we get into these games this week, we got to talk about we got a, a new fresh set of uh, college football playoff rankings that came out. And the ACC still has three teams ranked. The big change here, Louisville falls from number five last week to number 11. They fall six spots after their just total dismantling by Houston. I don't, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I mean, I think they were made to look pretty bad. There are some teams that have been playing well lately that definitely deserve to be higher. That's fine. Uh, Florida State moves up from number 17 up to number 14. Clemson holds steady at number four. The thing that I wanted to talk about here, though, is that there's a team here that is not in the rankings that I really feel like it should be. I feel like they're snubbed, and tell me if I'm wrong in thinking this, but I don't know how the North Carolina Tar Heels are not ranked right now, if, if, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. First, to, you know, to your first point about Louisville, 
dropping the way they did. Um, I'm surprised they actually didn't drop a little lower just because of how bad that game against Houston was. But then, you know, you consider the full body work for Louisville, and they're still, um, in my eyes anyway, likely a top 10 or 12 team in the country. So I'm, you know, not really uh, that upset with them being ranked number 11. Clemson at four, that's fine. That was kind of status quo. Florida State up to 14, which... Uh, to our point now about North Carolina not being in the top 25, I mean, I don't really get this. North Carolina is a team that went into Tallahassee, beat Florida State. Um, they essentially have the same record, and North Carolina is out of the top 25. I guess it's because of the bad loss to Duke a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, the, the voters just can't get that out of their heads. I mean, I'm not really sure what gives here. Uh, it's it's a little bit confusing. I, I think North Carolina is definitely a top 25 team. I think they've, uh, you know, all season long with their 8-3 and three record and, you know, 5-2 and two in conference. And, you know, you look at Florida State, they're 8-3 and three and 5-3 and three in conference. I mean, this is, you know, identical football teams, essentially. North Carolina's won the head-to-head, and the schedules are very similar. So I'm not really sure what kind of differentiates Florida State to be that much higher than North Carolina in the poll. It's something I'm, I'm really struggling to understand. Well, we know from the committee that they, they place a lot of emphasis on the eye test, and it just that, that's kind of the upgrade over the old BCS system is that there's, there's a level of subjectivity that's allowed. And so, Mike, just from the eye test, I, I want to do a quick little exercise here. I'm going to list off a few of these teams that are in the polls, and I want you to tell me if you can definitively say that North Carolina is not as good as these teams are. Are you ready? I'm ready. Number 24, Stanford. North Carolina is better than Stanford. You think they beat Stanford? They would beat Stanford. How about number 22, Utah? Uh, that would be a good game. Utah took quite the tumble. They were they're a pretty good football team, but they're almost entirely one-dimensional. Um, if you shut down their run game, they're in a lot of trouble. So uh, can North Carolina stop the run? That's the big question if that matchup were to occur. Um, I'm inclined to think that North Carolina and Utah play pretty similarly, and Utah's in the poll and North Carolina's not. Well, I mean, if the, if the key is can Utah run the ball, it's the North Carolina defense. Yeah, about. right, all exactly. I, I would give that uh, – I would say North Carolina could probably win that game at home. I don't think they could win it in Salt Lake City. That's, that's fair, entirely fair. I mean, I think those teams are pretty evenly matched. I mean, Utah – Obviously, running the ball and North Carolina's run defense being their Achilles heel, I mean, that that's obviously what would give the Tar Heels some trouble. But North Carolina can score plenty, and I think they can keep up with Utah, so I agree with you. The other one that I would say is probably about the same on a home-road basis is number 18, West Virginia. Yep, I agree. West Virginia's a good football team. I mean, they've kind of shown that all year. They've suffered a couple of losses here the last few weeks, but they've been pretty solid through and through all year long. I'd, I'd be inclined to say that West Virginia and North Carolina would play a pretty tight neutral site. Number 17, Tennessee. I think North Carolina's better. I'm not high on Tennessee. I don't think Tennessee is a good football team. You saw Tennessee in person. I did. I didn't think they were good then. They beat Tech by 17 points. I didn't think they were any good. I, I came out of the stadium. I was more irritated about Tech giving the game away than Tennessee winning the thing. I mean, Josh Dobbs, I don't think he's very good. I mean, I think he's a very good athlete. Um, but as a, as a quarterback, throwing the football down the field, I mean, you could do you can do a lot better than Josh Dobbs. I think he's he's fine, but he's not great. Uh, Tennessee's defense didn't impress me. I, I saw them in person. I understand it was the second week of the season. A lot has changed since then. Tennessee's also dropped some games since then. Um, but they've won their fair share as well in a week SEC East. But, yeah, I'm not impressed with Tennessee at all. I think North Carolina could give them a lot of trouble. 
Tennessee's definitely won some games by the hair of their chinny-chin-chins, so, and, and against teams that I think North Carolina is better than. Uh, how about, would you say that North Carolina could beat number 14 Florida State? Yeah, considering they did that in Tallahassee, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, just, just checking. Uh, how about number 13 Auburn? That's a tough one. Auburn's pretty good. Um, th- that's another game, though. It's like, okay, Auburn, you know, to Sean White's credit, a quarterback, there were a lot of questions about him throwing the football, kind of entering the season in the first month or so, and then he really improved throughout the month of October and into November. And Auburn's got a pretty good team, but you'd be inclined to say, well, if North Carolina were able to stop Auburn's running attack, which is a big if, right, with North Carolina's run defense, uh, then that would be a tough game to win um, if they were unable to stop it. And, uh, you know, I still think the best way to beat Auburn is to make them one-dimensional and make Sean White throw the football. I mean, I think that's still the best path to victory. But Auburn's got a very good defense, so I think that would present North Carolina with a bunch of challenges on that other side of the ball. I think that's totally fair. I'll just add that if we're talking about right now, if they were to go play this week, I think Carolina would have an advantage just because Auburn's kind of banged up. Yep. Uh, but as far as season long, maybe maybe not as much. So, yep. really, just wanted to point out here. I mean, that, that was six ranked teams that I don't know how great we feel about saying that they are definitely better and would definitely beat North Carolina in the game. So, come on, committee, North Carolina deserves to be ranked as much as I don't really like saying that all the time. You know what? You know what? Also, uh, just one more quick point about the whole eye test that we were talking about. I get it. There has to be some level of subjectivity. If a team has lost a game or two, you know, really tough games, you look at them and say, are they one of the four or five best teams in the country? And that's what you consider when putting together your top four and having, you know, five and six, you know, right in the mix as well. But by the same token, at the end of the day, when all the games are played, conference championships are played, who have you beaten? I mean, that's really... What should boil down to? I'm not going to sit here and say that eye test shouldn't be a part of it because I think that does play in um, and, and play a role. But I think it plays a supplemental role. Um, I think the primary role at the end of the day is who have you beaten? Where'd you do it? When was it? That's also a major component that they'll never talk about. And also, you know, with, with the committee, you know, I, I'm not a huge Paul Feinbaum guy, but he made a great point last night on the uh, preview showcase. I don't know. We call it something different every week whatever it is they do on ESPN when they release the rankings. Um, Paul Feinbaum made a great point. He said, the committee owes it to us to tell us how they judge the top four because we still haven't gotten a clear-cut answer. We're almost two full years into it now. And we don't have a clear-cut who's in the ranking, who's not. Like, we don't... There's no rationale, really, given for why a team's in the top four other than, okay, win your conference championship in the SEC. Other than that, like, we have no idea how the committee judges a conference champion. If you have a one-loss non-conference champion versus a one-loss conference champion in a weaker conference, essentially, at the end of the day, we have no idea how they're really judging this thing. And until we do, it's really up for speculation. But at the end of the day, in my mind, it's who have you beaten? I mean, if if you're Wisconsin and you win the Big Ten with two losses, and your two losses are to Michigan and Ohio State, and they're close losses, and you've won your conference, and there are one-loss teams out there that don't necessarily um, compare, then Wisconsin's going to have a really strong case at the end of the day because of who they've beaten in in the conference championship. But by the same token, you're going to say, okay, well, maybe two of the best teams in the conference, Ohio State and Michigan, are going to get in over them. Um, And 
is that fair or is it unfair? And you, you look at the Michigan Ohio State game, one of those teams inevitably will will be left out of the top four because of when they're going to lose. They're going to lose at the end of the year. If you're Ohio State, you've already lost, obviously. But if you're Michigan and you lose this game to Ohio State, there's no guarantee that uh, you'll get into the top four even with one loss and how well they've played all year. So it's how you lose, it's when you lose, it's who you've beaten, it's eye tests, all these things. But until the committee kind of irons it out and really gives us a definitive answer to how they judge these things, it's going to be really hard for us to sit here and evaluate. Well, I've mentioned this last couple of weeks, Mike, and, and I'll say it again, is that I think that the committee is really not far from having a real mess on its hands. Mm-hmm. If you look right now, just right now at the playoff top seven, four of them are Big Ten teams. Yep. One of them, one of them is going to win the conference championship. The other three aren't. And what are the chances that one of the teams that doesn't win the conference championship is ranked above a team that does? Right. Not bad, considering an Ohio State win over Michigan right now and a Michigan team that has struggled the last couple of weeks. If Ohio State beats them, Penn State goes to the Big Ten championship. Very scary. Wisconsin. Yep. And so you've got Ohio State at number two right now. They would win. They'd be ten. They'd be eleven and one at number two. And the conference championship would be again, you know, between number six Wisconsin, number seven Penn State. This is also where if Louisville hadn't gotten beat by Houston and had, you know, finished at eleven and one, they wouldn't have played for the ACC championship either, and they easily could have gotten in the top four, been one of the four best teams in the country. So we're not far from a, a total mess for the committee of figuring out. Well, we're told that we have to value conference championships, and yet. We kind of know that scheduling is not always fair, and some teams just aren't as good as the other ones that we say, you know, think that they are. So, I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, we're we're only a couple weeks away now, so stay tuned. Uh, one more one more quick point before we move on to the games here, Joey. I, I think the real test for the committee is going to be if a two-loss Penn State, who hasn't really looked all that impressive this season, wins the Big Ten. I think that's when the committee is really going to have an issue on its hands. I mean, there are a lot of other scenarios that could cause a lot of problems, but a two-loss Penn State who has beaten Ohio State, who many believe is the best team in the Big Ten, and they beat them, albeit in Happy Valley, but it still happened. You can call it fluky, call it whatever you want. They won the game, and then they go on and, and win the Big Ten championship against a team like Wisconsin, who everybody also thinks is really good despite their two losses. That's when the eye test factor, we're going to get a real solid idea of how much stock they put into that. Because Penn State hasn't been the most exciting team to watch in college football this year, it's fair to say. But they've figured out a way to get it done in a lot of these games. So I'm not sure that scenario is the most likely to happen, where Penn State actually goes to a conference championship and wins. But if that does happen, that's going to be really interesting to see how the committee evaluates wins versus losses, the conference championship factor, and the eye test. It's setting up to be a really interesting couple of weeks here in college football, Mike. But for now, we got a really interesting week on our hands here. It is rivalry week. Wow. Uh, rivalry week. There's a lot of R's in <laughs> rivalry. Yeah. Uh, rivalry week. Week. Uh, week 12, we'll call it. Week 12. Uh, featuring a lot of out-of-conference rivalry games uh, between SEC and ACC teams. I uh, got a few conference games left to tie up some loose ends. Well, let's dig in here, Mike. This is going to be a really fun week. There, there's a lot of really big spreads in some of these games, and I think you got to be really careful with those given the rivalry nature here. And appropriately, I'm going to start here with 
the, on a on at noon on Friday, the NC State Wolfpack on the road at the North Carolina Tar Heels. The Tar Heels are a ten and a half point favorite in this game, and that seems like a lot. And I realize that we just got done talking about how North Carolina <laughs> should be maybe in the rankings, and talking about you know if, if a team's going to be in the rankings, and given what NC State's done this year, it should probably be a blowout. But with the rivalry factor in place. I kind of don't mind the Wolfpack to keep it to 10 or less here, Mike. I love North Carolina in this game, but I'm with you. Um, I, I think the line is very interesting. You know, I think it's just about right, honestly, because we don't know. I mean, if you had to pick one strength of the NC State offense, it's running the football, right? I mean, Matt Days and Ryan Finley, to his credit, has been a little bit elusive. I mean, it's kind of an underrated quality um, from him in the quarterback position, but They've been able to run the ball well. They've they've won a lot of those games, and it's going to be really interesting against North Carolina. Will they be able to establish a run game with Matt Days? My hunch is yes, because almost everybody can establish a run against North Carolina. If that's the case, I think that the Tar Heels could have a game on their hands. However, if it gets into a shootout, that definitely favors North Carolina. I mean, they can score 50 on you in a heartbeat, whereas NC State, I think, has to kind of scratch and claw to get to get the points on the board on offense. Um, and, you know, if it comes down to that, which I think it might, um, you know, NC State has had a pretty decent defense this year, to their credit, but they haven't faced a ton of teams with the weapons that North Carolina has passing and running the ball. Obviously, they've seen Florida State, they've seen Louisville and Clemson, but, you know, Clemson has taken a step back offensively. Louisville, I mean, they are what they are, right? They saw every bit of that offense in that game. And then Florida State... I mean, they, they've been a decent offense this year. Um, I don't think anybody would say they're they're near the uh, levels they were when Jameis Winston was playing there, but it's been a work in progress, and they've gotten um, more and more solid as the season has gone on. But I think North Carolina is unique in the ability to run the football and throw the football like they do. Uh, they're probably the closest thing they'll get to Louisville on their schedule um, without a Lamar Jackson figure at quarterback. It's more of a pocket passing attack, obviously, with Trubisky. He's elusive. He can he can run out of the pocket. You and I were kind of talking about that before we started recording. Um, I think North Carolina wins this football game. I think NC State's going to have a lot of trouble slowing down Mitch Trubisky in that offense. I think this is a game, though, that North Carolina is going to have to establish a run with Elijah Hood. Don't go away from him. If they do, they could be in a little bit of trouble because these rivalry games always find a way to get weird. Mike, on October 8th, NC State beat Notre Dame at home 10-3 to in a hurricane. Since then, they've lost five out of six games, although I will say that of those five losses, only one of them was outside of two touchdowns. So NC State, while not particularly impressive, they haven't been you know just a total pushover either. Uh, I, I want to point out the fact that they are 5-6 and six coming into this game. A, a win would mean bowl eligibility. So I think, I mean, besides the rivalry factor, I think they're going to be up for this game. I, I, as you mentioned, too, the, you know, the Matt Days factor running at the North Carolina defense, which struggles to defend the run. I actually don't mind that at all. I think that they might try to slow the game down and, and limit the possessions. So for all those reasons, I actually really like the Wolfpack to cover 10.5 here. Uh, but I I do think that North Carolina, Mitch Trubisky, Elijah Hood, Ryan Switzer, Bug Howard, uh, Ricky Pearl, all these guys, I think they're going to be too much for NC State to handle. And I do think that North Carolina wins the game. Uh, maybe call it a little bit of a shootout here, maybe 
That's inside of 10. And so that's the thing, though, is that this game opened at 10 was the line. Moving to 10 and a half, that's a big difference. Um, so I think that's maybe the difference is UNC by 10, but they don't cover 10 and a half. So give me the Wolfpack to cover, but the Tar Heels still to win here. 34-24. I like North Carolina to cover the 10 and a half point spread. I think they actually win this game by like 13 points. I think it's almost a two touchdown um, win for North Carolina. So uh, I, I like the line. I, I don't think it's too high or too low. I mean, I think that's pretty decent for a rivalry game. So I'll take North Carolina. I, I don't know if it'll be easy. I mean, I like them to win the game outright, like without a problem, really. But um, I like that 10.5 point line. I think they'll find a way to cover it. The game total here is 59 points as well. Love um, the over on that. I don't mind that at all, yeah. Uh, NC State should be able to move the ball on North Carolina defense, and North Carolina can move the ball on just about anybody. So yep. uh, I really don't mind the over 59 either. I'm, I'm with you. And I'm starting to question my score prediction of 34-24, which would put it a point under. Well, we'll see. Uh, so that game is on Friday. Mike, all the rest of these games are going to be on Saturday. And we'll move on here to the primetime 8 o'clock ABC game. All the eyes are going to be watching as the number 14 Florida State Seminoles come in at 8-3, and three, play host to the number 15 Florida Gators. Um, I was doing a little bit of research before we started here. I was surprised that this game doesn't have, like, a nickname or a trophy that they play for. It's just... Two teams that just don't like each other and share some territory, and they play every year. Um, and what I found interesting, too, about this game, Mike, is that Florida State is a 7.5-point favorite here, which seems small. Um, because, I, I mean, you look at the game last year where Florida State just blew the doors off of Florida, and I don't think that either of the teams are very different this year. I mean, they're still, you know, Florida's still got a really good defense. Their offense is still highly questionable. Uh, Florida State's still very talented on both sides of the ball and, and pretty good on both sides of the ball. I really actually like the Seminoles to cover 7.5 here pretty comfortably, Mike. I do too. Uh, you know, the, the biggest factor for me is Florida's lack of a quarterback right now. They've had so many issues since the Luke Del Rio injury. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think Florida State has a team that's really been improving for the last month and a half or so. They've reestablished a running game with Dalvin Cook, which I think has been huge. And I think DeAndre Francois is really starting to make the next step. I think he's going to be a very, very strong player heading into next year. Um, maybe kind of fall in line with the expectations that a lot of people had laid out for him going into this season, which, fair or unfair, I mean, we're pretty lofty. So I think everything is starting to head in a really positive direction for Florida State. The only thing that might not go their way in the offseason is if Jimbo Fisher decides to go to LSU, which has been rumored for quite some time, really ever since uh, Les Miles, um, you know, all the Les Miles, uh, you know, that all those rumors were circulating around him, even in last year's um, debacle there towards the end of the season when Miles ultimately kept his job through the season, but um, all of a sudden Jimbo Fisher was kind of being rumored a little bit and had to start answering job questions, so that's the only thing that could really go uh, not go Florida State's way. Um, I, I think everything else is heading in the right direction. With that being said, I, I like Florida State to cover in this game as well, but I think Florida's defense could make it interesting, and I think if they come out and they put a lot of pressure on DeAndre Francois and they find a way to shut down Dalvin Cook, or at least slow down Dalvin Cook in the Florida State run game, 
I think Florida could find a way to actually win this football game. So I could see it going a couple of different ways, but um, I, I think Florida State's going to find a way with their offense. they got a lot of weapons. They're starting to fire on all cylinders at the perfect time of year. And Florida State's defense has been really good this year as well. They, they've kind of been an underrated unit. They were really banged up to start the year. Obviously, a Derwin James injury will set you back. He's one of the best defensive players in the country. And we don't have him for an extended period of time. That really doesn't help your cause. But I think the younger guys for Florida State have really stepped up, especially in the front seven. And I think that's the reason why they're going to win this game. And Florida's lack of lack of a consistent offensive attack, I mean, I think that ultimately is going to decide the game. So I like Florida State to win here and cover seven and a half. Mike, I mentioned that last year was a bit of a blowout. Florida State won this year, this game last year, twenty-seven to two. Yeah, I mean they had and that was they, and that was in the swamp. Yeah, I mean that was the uh, Treon Harris led Florida Gators at the time. Um, after everything that happened uh, at the quarterback position last year, so yeah, I mean you don't have much of a shot when Treon Harris is your quarterback. That's for sure. You got a better shot when Luke Del Rio is your quarterback. Uh yeah, I mean, better better Luke Del Rio than Treon Harris, right? I mean, I guess lesser of two evils, like yeah, Del Rio's not I mean, great, but he's <laughs> he's better than Treon Harris. Treon Harris is just so awful. This is true. I'll, I'll give you that. So, so here's the other thing that jumps out at me, Mike, is that the last couple of years, Florida's had really good defenses, and between those two games, Dalvin Cook has 50 carries for 327 yards and two touchdowns. He's averaging six and a half yards per carry against Florida State in his career, or against Florida in his career. And, you know, between that, between this game being at Dope Campbell Stadium, uh, DeAndre Francois has gotten better throughout the year. Still not great, still not maybe going to win this game by himself, but I think he's more than serviceable. Florida's, Florida's a good team, but they're a very incomplete team. Yep. Uh, I don't see them moving the ball very much on this Florida State defense, so I think the Seminoles win comfortably here. I'll take Florida State maybe 24-6. to That's like an 18-point win, so they, they comfortably cover a 7.5-point spread here. I hate score predictions, so yours sounds pretty good. I mean, I'm, I'm with that as well. I mean, I think, I think Florida State definitely covers. I think they're a couple touchdowns better than Florida at this point. I just don't know how Florida's going to move the ball. Yeah, that's the real question in this game for sure. I mean, they scored 16 points on LSU last week, and seven of them came on a 98-yard touchdown pass. That Yeah. I mean, you could, you could run that play 100 times, and it might only come back that way like once or twice. Yeah, so. I mean, that's kind of luck of the draw. I mean, everything has to go your way on those types of plays. Yeah, I just don't trust that it will this time. Nope. And on that note, the uh, the total of the game is 40, 45 and a half. Give me the under on that. Way under. Way under that. Way under. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple touchdowns under maybe. I, I really like your 24-6 prediction because I don't think Florida will score more than once. Um, I think Florida State, you know, I think Florida will hold Florida State relatively in check. I mean, I don't think Florida State will absolutely go wild, but I think they'll definitely uh, score in the 20s. And I think if that's the case, you're way under. Mike, I think I've got dibs on the uh, ACC pick of the week first selection this week. I think I'm going to call dibs on that one. Yeah, that's fair enough. There, there are a lot of really good lines that I'd like to rebut this week, so I'm <laughs> cool with that. We'll do that here in a little while. Moving on, at noon on the dang SEC network. Hate it. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, a four-point underdog on the road in <laughs> Athens at Sanford Stadium uh, against the Georgia Bulldogs. Clean old-fashioned hate. Um, 
I, uh, I, this feels like it might be a really ugly game, Mike. I can't. Uh, I remember. Uh, well, sorry. I'll, I'll tell you. I was sitting at this game last year in Bobby Dodd Stadium, sitting in the middle of a whole bunch of Georgia fans. And normally, where it's a very aggressive kind of game, where everyone's jawing at each other or barking at each other (pun intended) um, this was a game where we were all kind of watching it and we were kind of embarrassed by what we were watching and nobody was proud of what they were watching and what they had paid for and just I could almost kind of see this game going the same way with you know Georgia Tech's defense not great Georgia's offense really bad Georgia's defense above average to pretty good Georgia Tech's offense good some days average to below average other days I think this is a really low scoring and ugly game Mike. I can't, uh, sorry to almost cut you off there, I can't believe that Georgia Tech's an underdog I mean I just really haven't been, I mean I guess I kind of get it, um, people who just aren't buying in on Georgia Tech, that's fine, I mean, I'm not making you, right, I mean, whatever um, but Georgia hasn't been very good either, and I mean I guess it's because Georgia's at home, but I mean, this is really, I it's anybody's guess how this game's going to turn out. I, I'm inclined to agree with you as far as um, how ugly this game's going to be. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many points are going to be scored in this game. Georgia's offense hasn't really been all that impressive. Their defense is okay. Georgia Tech, they just haven't been consistent on either side of the ball really all season. But the reason why I like Georgia Tech to go into Athens and win this game against Georgia is because over the past month, I think Georgia Tech has been playing some pretty solid football, especially the last couple of weeks. I think they've really found something defensively. Um, they're definitely improving. They weren't great in the first half, like you mentioned um, in the uh, recap pod the other night. They weren't great in the first half last weekend, but they found a way to get it done. The defense played much better in the second half. I think Georgia Tech's young defense is starting to find something here. It's a good time of year to do it because you can build some solid momentum into next year. Justin Thomas throwing the football, I never gave him credit for it. You talked me into him being a good passer. I think he makes a couple plays in the passing game here that make a difference in this game. I think Georgia Tech goes into Athens and beats Georgia on Saturday. Uh, You say that with such confidence. Um, you're, you're right, actually, mentioning that basically six of the last eight quarters that Georgia Tech has played, their defense has actually been really good. Um, take away the, the first half against Virginia and the whole game against Virginia Tech and the second half against Virginia, they've been pretty good. They're starting to find some stuff that works. Uh, Ted Roof is really committing to either blitzing or dropping back and playing pressure. They've started running some really interesting looks, too, where – on like third downs, they'll drop into like a three-three-five with same personnel as a four-two-five, but they'll drop like the pass rushing defensive end into like a linebacker type of spot, which is really interesting. Either Keyshawn Freeman or Henri Saint Amour doing that. Uh, the Georgia offense all year has been wholly unimpressive. Um, they've got a, a true freshman quarterback, Jacob Eason, who was supposed to be the chosen one. Uh, he's been a, a really good freshman. And emphasis on the freshman piece. Um, he, he, he can make a lot of throws. He made a crazy throw at the end of the Tennessee game. Just at 60 yards on a, on a rope uh, to score a late touchdown there. But at the same time, they've also, you know, that offensive line has found a way to make Nick Chubb look like a super just average running back. When I think that he has an argument to be made, you know, that he might be better than some of the other guys that we would consider household names, such as Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, guys like that. 
Um, so I think that if, if Georgia Tech comes in and plays a good defensive game and with the freshman quarterback and everything, I'm kind of with you. I'm just – I've learned enough about this game, Mike, over the last, I don't know, 15 years of Georgia Tech fandom that picking Georgia Tech to win this game is typically like a fruitless endeavor. Um, I mean <laughs> – A fruitless endeavor. What, they've won the game twice since 2001? Oh, so, I, uh, I, yeah, so for what it's worth, uh, Bill Conley and the S&P Plus system give Georgia Tech a 51% chance to win this game, and that's accounting for the two teams and where they rank and uh, the fact that this is a road game for Georgia Tech. So, yeah, I guess give me Georgia Tech to cover four here. I don't think it's a pretty game. Um, I think there's not going to be a whole lot of points scored. I think the defenses are going to get the better of the offenses here. Uh, uh, yeah, give me Georgia Tech 20-17. to 17. I'm going to expect the worst and pray for the best here. I was going to say 17-14. You know how much I hate score predictions. Mm-hmm. I was even going to throw one out there. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Georgia Tech, though, I mean, I'm confident they'll win. I just don't know how much, and I don't even know if my confidence is even warranted at this point. But I really, this is a tough game to really get a handle on. I think it will be ugly, though. That's for sure. The amount of alcohol I'm going to drink in this game to, like, quench my anxiety over watching it, that's not going to be pretty either. So uh, watch out for me on Twitter on Saturday. Uh, it'll, It'll be interesting. Let's talk about your, uh, your well, less anxious kind of game, considering your team has won this game ever since you were in, what, like, fourth grade or something? Something like that. Yeah. The Virginia Cavaliers at 2-9 and nine going into Blacksburg, taking on the Virginia Tech Hokies. Uh, the Hokies 18.5-point favorites in this game at noon on ESPN2. If Virginia Tech wins this game, they clinch the Coastal Division, and they will go to Orlando to play in the ACC Championship game. If not, it'll depend entirely on the results of the NC State-North Carolina game on Friday, which we already have picked North Carolina to win. So there's that level of anxiety there. Um, But, again, Mike, the Hokies have a more than established track record of winning this game and winning it convincingly. So I I think I'm fully comfortable saying here that Virginia Tech wins the Commonwealth Cup, as it were. Although I will say that 18.5 is a lot of points, and I kind of don't mind Virginia to cover that. I don't know if that's maybe a dumb perspective here. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, well, personal note, because I know how, mu- how much everybody loves to hear about my personal life on this podcast. I uh, just had to sell my ticket this morning to the Virginia Tech-Virginia game. I was going to try to go Ooh. down to Blacksburg for this one. On Thanksgiving weekend. Good. Yeah, this, this would have been my fourth straight Virginia Tech game I would have seen in a row because I'm the traveling man, Joey. Um, the world traveler. Yeah, so I have to uh, yeah, I have to work on Saturday, unfortunately, so I'll be missing that. But um, I, I think you've got a pretty decent handle on it. I mean, I think there's a Twitter account for the Commonwealth Cup saying Virginia Tech's held the Commonwealth Cup for X amount of days, and it's a lot. They haven't lost this game since the 2003 season, so it's been a while. And I don't think they're going to lose on Saturday at home. Uh, On Senior Day in Blacksburg, they generally get a pretty good crowd, believe it or not. Um, A lot of kids come back early, especially if it's a home game. Uh, They come back early for Thanksgiving. I think this year it's going to be even better because the Hokies are actually a good team. 
and uh, they have a lot of good seniors um, heading out and moving on. And this is a game that could clinch the Coastal Division. And um, I think Virginia Tech's going to get it done. Look, there's not a whole lot to say about this game. I think Virginia Tech's just a much better football team on both sides of the ball. I'm with you, though. I do think Virginia will find a way to cover. I'm not saying that Virginia Tech won't go up comfortably in this game. I think they will, but I think maybe Virginia finds a way to backdoor cover here, 18-and-a-half. This opened up anywhere between 20 and 20 and a half, which I thought was a massive line to begin with. And 18 and a half is still, as we record here Wednesday night, is still a little bit large for my liking. Um, if I'm betting on this football game for Virginia Tech, I think Virginia finds a way to cover potentially here. Um, but I think Virginia wins this, or Virginia Tech, I'm sorry, wins this game by uh, two or three touchdowns. I, I mean, if they get, I, I think they could get to 17 pretty easily. Uh, go up 17 and win the game by by that amount. Um, the running game, if the Hokies figure that out, even in the absence of Marshawn Williams, who started to take on a bigger role, if they maybe involve Trayvon McMillan a little bit, and that, you know, to be honest with you, the Hokies might not even have to run the ball that well in this game. Evans could just have a really good day throwing the football, and that could be all she wrote. And especially if Virginia turns the ball over like they do on offense. Um, Matt Johns, to his credit for Virginia, he's going to start again. It's going to be his final game as a collegiate quarterback. Um, he brings a sense of calm to the Virginia offense, but he's a guy who likes to throw the ball to the other team. If he throws it to Virginia Tech in this game, I think the Hokies cover really easily. But my hunch is that Virginia will find a way to sit on the football a little bit here um, and find a way to cover late. But I like the Hokies to win this game going away. I'm kind of with you. I'm thinking of backdoor cover here. Uh, fair to say that just objectively, Virginia Tech is probably around three touchdowns better than Virginia. But I think you throw in the rivalry game factor and maybe the, you know, the late game let off the gas thing for Virginia Tech. If they're, you know, going to win big and go to the ACC championship game, I could see Virginia definitely pulling it back to recover. I just, like you said, I mean, Matt John's going to be starting for Virginia. We said last week that the offense seems to work better when he is at the helm. So I think that they'll move somewhat. Um, But, yeah. I, I like Virginia Tech to win this game. I think Virginia covers, so give me the Hokies uh, 38-24 after a late touchdown by the Cavs. And I think we move one year closer to the ever-nearing mark, Mike, of uh, years since uh, since Virginia's beaten Virginia Tech. We, we were drawing extremely close to children being born since the last time that happened and being able to drive. <laughs> yep, it's... Heading down that route quickly, it's uh, going to be pretty devastating if you're a Virginia fan, especially for for the Cavaliers. I mean, look, the Virginia fans, they go through losses, all these losses all year long. They always have that rivalry game against Tech at the end of the year, and they can never salvage a win. Even when Virginia had arguably their best season in the last decade and a half back in 2000, to the 2011-2012 season, Virginia was riding a great winning streak going into their game. It was their final home game of the year against Virginia Tech, and the Hokies won 38 to nothing. So it's uh, it's a rivalry game because the two teams hate each other so much, but it's really been a one-sided affair, that's for sure. Fair enough. I'm just thinking of all those high schoolers that have never seen Virginia beat Virginia Tech in oh, their yeah. entire lifetime. It's pretty astonishing. Oh, man, that is a lopsided rivalry. Huge for recruiting, um, by the way, too. Yes, yes it is. Let's move on, Mike. Uh, we'll talk about another game that's been, well, it's kind of like fig- figures to be lopsided in its own way. The number four Clemson Tigers 
at home in the Palmetto Bowl. It's a new name over the last couple of years. They're hosting the South Carolina Gamecocks at 7.30 p.m. on ESPN. Uh, Clemson a 24-point favorite here. Uh, that is a huge line, even for a rivalry game, and yet I kind of don't mind it. Uh, South Carolina's defense is decent, especially under first-year head coach Will Muschamp. So I could kind of see them giving the Clemson offense some problems, but Clemson's defense should be good enough here with South Carolina's offense kind of complete garbage. Uh, Again, 24 a lot in a rivalry game, but I think I like Clemson to cover 24, maybe 34 to 3, 34 to 6. Yeah, low scoring for South Carolina, yeah. I think Clemson will put up enough points and cover 24 here. Um, Just don't turn the ball over and, and you'll be fine. Strangely enough, I kind of like the over 48.5 in this game because I think Clemson can find a way to get in the mid to high 30s. And I think if that's the case, then it could get dangerously close uh, to 48. If you get like a 35-13 to 13 game, you're right there. Um, and if Clemson somehow gets to 40, it's almost a surefire over if uh, South Carolina musters a touchdown and a field goal on the Clemson defense. And, you know, South Carolina's offense, I mean, that's going to be the story in this game. Their offense just really hasn't been anything to write home about. And, you know, Clemson's defense, they're good, but this is a team that is only a couple weeks removed from giving up, what was it, like 40 or 50 points to Pittsburgh? I mean, it was like something absurd and a ton of yards, and, it, you know, it wasn't good when they got upset a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Clemson wins this game. I love them to cover 24 I think this game has potential. I'm not going to make my pick on it for the week um, or put any money on it or anything like that. But I think this game could potentially get over that 48.5. I think that number is in danger if the Clemson offense decides to click on Saturday, which is anybody's guess. But if it does, um, you know, I like Clemson to not only cover, but to aid heavily in getting over 48.5 in this game. I will say, Mike, that. South Carolina in games against Power 5 opponents here. Points that their offense has scored. 13, 14, 10, 13, 14, 24, 31, 7. So only twice have they broken 20 points against Power 5 competition. Get in the end zone twice and then have Clemson score in the mid-30s and you're right there on 48. I mean, I think that's entirely plausible, don't you think? I mean, I think it's... I think it's yeah, close. It's close. I mean, I, I, you know, it's a pretty good line. I'll give them that. It's a very good line. It could be a blowout, but yeah, that could definitely go over. Um, yeah, I just don't. I, I mean, maybe Clemson's defense comes out a little flat after you know two weeks ago their you know their rough stint against Pittsburgh. But I, uh, I mean, that's maybe grasping at straws here a little bit. Uh, yeah, Clemson big. I think maybe yeah. 34 to 6. 34. Well, 34 wouldn't do it. So, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think the line, like you said, the line's pretty good here. So, yeah. I, I'll take Clemson to cover, but I won't feel good about it. I, I could easily see South Carolina covering, again, because it's 24 points. That's, that's a lot, especially yep. for a rivalry game. Yep, that's fair. Let's move on. 
the number 11 Louisville Cardinals at home against the Kentucky Wildcats at noon on ESPN. Louisville is a 26-point favorite in this game, uh, being played for the Governor's Cup. And we've just gotten used to this, you know, Louisville being huge favorites in games, knowing that their offense can be that uh, runaway freight train from hell offense that they've got. Uh, I, I actually don't mind Kentucky to cover here. I think that what they're going to try to do is the same thing maybe that Duke did, of slow the game down, run the ball, uh, possess the ball, try to limit possessions, keep Louisville from getting out and and really just putting together just a huge lead. Um, that said, I mean, Louisville showed some cracks in the armor against Houston. They Their offensive line had a very poor game. They returned home, but give me... Give me Kentucky to cover 26, but Louisville to win comfortably still uh, 38-14. Louisville covers. They bounce back. Kentucky, they're an okay team. Um, they're, they're better than they've been the last couple of years, but they're not nearly the team that um, Louisville is, obviously. Louisville's offense, really freaking good. Their defense, really freaking good. I understand that they had a slip-up against Houston, but Kentucky – offensively doesn't nearly present the same sort of issues uh, to the Louisville defense that the Houston offense would. I love Louisville to cover 26 at the 74-point over-under. I can't believe that's a thing. That's a, that's crazy. Um, you're, you're essentially banking on Louisville to get in the 50s and then uh, Kentucky scratching and clawing to get the three touchdowns. I mean, I guess I can see it happen, but I actually kind of like the under on the 74 um, but I love Louisville to cover 26. I mean, I think this could be an ugly game. I think Louisville can get uh, can score 40 points. I think Kentucky maybe musters 14. I mean, I, I think it's a real huge blowout in this one. Not a whole lot more to say about it. I think it's a really nice bounce-back opportunity for Louisville. I'm with you there. The, the 74 number is really strange here. You figure a 26-point spread, but the number being 74... If you figure if they hit the spread exactly, that's banking on Kentucky to score a lot of points. And Louisville's defense is not bad. They give up 30, well, 34 to Houston, and really it should have been a lot less than that given some short fields they had to deal with, you know, some quick drives by Houston. So um, I, I'm with you. I really like the under 74 in that game. Um, but Louisville very easily could run away with this thing, you know, with, with no issues. So... Anything else here? No, that's that's about it. I think Louisville's just a much better team. I think they win. Are you sure you don't want to draw this out and talk about this game for another like five, ten minutes so we can avoid moving on? No, that's what the next game's for. We love talking about Boston College Wake Forest, don't we? Oh, gee. can we skip this one? Do we have to? It's by Stephen Deacons. It's by Stephen Deacons. I'm back on the hype train. Oh, I'm terrified of this game, Mike. Me too. Uh, yeah, like you said, the Boston College Eagles at five and six on the uh, on the threshold of bowl eligibility. I'm gonna need to wash my hands after saying that. Uh, on the road in Winston Salem against the six and five Wake Forest Steeman Deacons, the Steeman Deacons a three point home favorite at three p.m. on the ACC Network Extra and Watch ESPN. Um, a three point home favorite here would tell you that basically on a neutral field these teams are even. And as silly as I feel as, you know, saying this as Wake Forest has been decent this year and Boston College has been kind of awful, 
I actually do kind of see these as pretty even teams on a neutral field. Um, I'm not fully convinced that Wake Forest's offense is going to be able to get moving against this Boston College defense, which against you know more conventional rushing attacks is going to be very stifling. Um, so basically you're putting a lot on John Walford here for the Demon Deacons offense, which is maybe not the best thing that you could, uh, you could say. Um, so that's why I'm afraid of this game. Like, I feel like Wake Forest needs to win this game to kind of cement their place in the ACC Atlantic. Um, Boston College, I still feel like are kind of pretenders. I mean, they come in at five and six and one and six in conference. Um, and yet, I, I could see a way that they, they come away with a win here. Is that crazy to think? Uh, not entirely. I mean, I think these are two evenly matched teams, and I need to wash my mouth out with soap now. Um, Boston College could potentially only have two conference wins this year and still get to bowl eligibility. It's a sick, sick game, uh, ACC football, isn't it? Uh, Wake Forest, three-point favorite at home. 36 and a half, give me the under, like, God, 14 to 10 or something, I don't know, I'm going to pick Wake Forest just because I don't want Boston College to win this game, like, they don't deserve to be bowl eligible, I've seen enough of them this year to realize, like, this is one of the worst teams in college football, and they have five freaking wins, they're one game away from bowl eligibility, it makes me sick, Steve Adazio, you and I discussed this at some point, could keep his job potentially, which I don't want to see, look, I, I don't want to see anybody fired, this guy's got a family, you know, so on and so forth. I, I will never root for anybody to get fired, but I also will not root for somebody who shouldn't have a job to continue to keep it. And this is a situation here at Boston College where Steve Adazio was an offensive coordinator at the University of Florida, a national championship-winning University of Florida team, and his offense has been one of the worst offenses in college football for the last two or three years. And they haven't made it any better. They made a terrible hire in Scott Leffler. I can talk to it myself because I watched his offenses at Virginia Tech the last few years that I was at school there. It didn't make sense for them to hire another bad offensive coordinator. Look, if you're going to change the system, change the system, but at least hire somebody who's going to put points on the board. They didn't do that. Uh, God, it, this game, it just frustrates me. Boston College makes me mad. I'm picking Wake Forest. I've liked what they've done all year. I think they have a clear path uh, You know, to, to how they want to win games. They want to run the ball well. They want to stop the run. We've talked to that at length. They've done a pretty decent job all year of doing that. They've been kind of outmatched here the last few weeks because of the opponents they've played, but a 6-5 and five record. If they win this game, they get to seven wins in conference. That would be or seven game, seven wins in conference. Can you imagine seven seven wins on the year in their fourth win in conference? And like you said, cement themselves in the ACC Atlantic as one of one of the middle tier teams. I think that would be huge for the program, huge for recruiting. If you can say, yeah, we won seven games, got to a bowl game. We'll see what happens after that with whatever matchup they get. But if they find a way to do that, and Wake Forest has an opportunity when they win their bowl game or have a chance to win their bowl game to get to eight wins, I think that would be huge for the program for Dave Clawson. And he's done a great job there at Wake Forest. They've been a great story all year. They're at home. I'll take them to win. It's going to be ugly, something like 14 to 10. Whew, come on, Wake Forest. You heard that. Let's win one for the Gipper. Win one for the Gipper. Uh, Mike has the high train at full speed ahead. I am on that high train. That's right. Wake Forest in a blowout here, <laughs> ten to six. 
Ten to six, blowout. They're going to cover three by a whole point. Uh, they're going to go way under that 36.5 total. Like you said, that is a, a shockingly low total, and they're going to go under it. Uh, yeah, Dave Clawson, go get it. Let's do this. You're at home. you got to beat a team that is not as good as you are. You're going to get it done. One one quick point. We were joking that 10-6 to 6 is a blowout, but when you're playing Boston College, that's a pretty substantial scoring amount. Like, BC, that's four points is a lot to make up for them. So... Yeah, I love it, Joey. You had the four-point spread as well. I'm on board. Let's do it. Yeah. Maybe even 13-6. to six. They might even win by a whole touchdown. Whole touchdown. That's dangerous. Steeman Deacon's covering. Ugly Lock ga- it up. Ugly game. Don't watch it. <laughs> if you are watching it, please tweet us so that we could uh, coach you through this experience. Yeah, or please, yeah, at least give us an update because neither of us will be watching it. All right. Let's move on, Mike. we got a few more here to get through. Uh, the Duke Blue Devils on the road at the Miami Hurricanes. Good thing that nothing weird ever happens in these games. These are totally predictable and uh, well-officiated games yep. between these two teams. Just like last year. The team that's supposed to win always wins. Yep. This is good. There's never a questionable, like, crazy lateral, like, eight lateral return at the end of the game when somebody's knee was down and there are a couple forward passes in there. Nothing weird ever happens. No, not a chance. Not a chance. Uh, yeah, so the Hurricanes, a 15-point home favorite here at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN2. Worth noting, we mentioned, we talked about this a little bit before we came on, uh, Brad Kaya is not walking for senior day. And I don't know that at this point it's that was totally unpredictable. Uh, he, he hasn't had the best year. It seems like it would serve him well to come back for his senior year. Um, but worth noting, and, and I think surprising in the context of what we would have expected before the year. So... There's that, but other than that, Miami just barely over a two-touchdown favorite. Um, Duke's defense got totally obliterated last week against Pittsburgh. They come in needing to get a win to get to 5-7 and seven and hope that their APR carries them to bulgeability since, you know, that's where we're at in college football now. Is <laughs> five five wins teams is, go to bowl games. Like. Yeah, if, if you're graduating your players and stuff, which that's a – that's a discussion for a different day, but um, yeah, I, I don't I don't see Duke winning this game. I think Miami's going to take care of business here at home, get to eight and four. Uh, I could see Duke covering fifteen. I think that maybe they could kind of hold the score down a little bit, give Miami some problems, but ultimately I think the Hurricanes are going to win. Um, give me Miami. Mm, yeah, I think Miami covers, actually. Give me Miami, like, 31-14, the win by 17. I, I, I think that Miami's defense is going to be good enough to shut down Duke and Daniel Jones and that offense just enough to uh, to cover 15 here. Uh, college football, where your academic progress rate uh, essentially counts towards an extra win on the football field. It will never, ever make any sense to me. Um, what a time to be alive. Yeah, what a time to be alive. Uh Brad Kaya not walking on senior day, real quick, not a huge surprise. He hasn't played up to what he's capable of this year. His numbers have been fine. He hasn't thrown the ball nearly as much as he has in years past. It's been kind of a different approach to the offense with a stronger emphasis on the running game, a little bit more pressure off his shoulders, which I completely agreed with. But he's had issues with accuracy, and I think that's a big reason why um, he's considering it. And I think... You know, we can sit here saying it's pretty obvious he's considering returning to school for a senior year, which might not be the worst idea at this point, considering where he was at in the preseason to 
potentially where he's falling here as far as quarterback draft prospects go. As far as the game's concerned, um, I think Duke is much better than their 4-7 and seven record. I alluded to that um, last week on the preview podcast for the Duke-Pittsburgh game, but I was dumb enough to pick Duke to win an upset against Pittsburgh, and I saw Pittsburgh mop the floor and score 56 points. I don't think Miami scores 56, but they're a team much like Florida State is clicking on all cylinders right now on offense and on defense. This is more like the Miami team we saw in September. I keep alluding to that, but they're playing a better caliber of opponent now in the conference. I think that their success on offense and on defense, as you just mentioned, continues here on Saturday, and I think um, they win their game on senior day down in Coral Gables, and I think they win it comfortably. I do think they cover the 15-point spread. I Give me Miami like uh, like 30 to 14. I mean, I think it'll be clo- I think it'll be close from a point spread perspective. But I think Miami will find a way to cover. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Duke might fold up a little bit here. They're they're, they're so banged up on both sides yep. of the ball. I'm with you. Mail um, it in. I mean, you're you're just so injured on offense. I mean, they're on like their 11th running back at this point. I mean, just. It's been a tough year. Not a ton to play for. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, almost nothing to play for because the APR thing to get into a bowl game is nothing guaranteed, and they've really just they're, a lot of the reason why they're four and seven, and we haven't really talked about this that much, but they've been so injured um, on both sides of the ball for most of the season. That's been a big reason why they're not in position to be bowl eligible at this point. Worth mentioning too that Miami started the year four zero, then they lost four in a row, and they've now won three in a row. So. They could finish eight and four uh, with basically not winning a game in the month of October, which you know, interesting. But yeah, with you, uh, well, I guess they beat Georgia Tech on October first, so <laughs> never mind. Um, yeah, I'll take Miami to cover fifteen here. I don't feel great about it though. I wouldn't wouldn't recommend nope. uh, this being one of your plays. Nope. Uh, last conference game, Mike Syracuse. On the road at the Pittsburgh Panthers. Pittsburgh, a 24.5-point favorite at 12.30 p.m. on the ACC Network Extra. Watch ESPN. Uh, I just checked. I haven't seen anything that indicates that Eric Dungy is going to be able to play for Syracuse. Uh, even if he's not able to play, I just saw Troy Nunes is an absolute magician. Is an uh, estimation <laughs> blog. That could, yeah, that's a mouthful. Uh, oh, Noonsmagician.com is a Syracuse blog in the SB Nation network. Basically, they wrote an article a day or two ago talking about how even if Dungey can play, he shouldn't. Um, same thing here. I mean, there's not a ton to play for. And, I mean, again, same thing. You could get to 5-7. and seven. Maybe your APR carries you to a bowl game. But Who cares? I don't think you're be- yeah. I don't think you're beating Pittsburgh either way. That would be a totally just, you know, about the point spread kind of thing. No point in making something worse. Uh, yeah, I think Pittsburgh runs away with this one. I think it's ugly, and, and it's just a, a total uh, a total boat race. Give me Pittsburgh here, like forty five to ten. Yeah, I like Pittsburgh. To, I'm with you. We've we've been together on a lot of these point spreads here this week. I like Pittsburgh to cover as well. If the same offense shows up um, this week that showed up last week and scored fifty six points, I. I <laughs> Man, Syracuse is in for a long day. They don't have Eric Dungey. They haven't been the same offense since he's been out of the lineup. Zach Mahoney's been fine, but he's good for an interception or two in this game, even against a really bad Pittsburgh secondary. Uh, Pittsburgh's another team that's kind of been on upward uh, trajectory. Really, ever since the Virginia Tech loss, they've really improved um, on both sides of the football. Even their defense has played a lot better um, in pass defense as well. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's the one strength of Syracuse. If they had Eric Dungey where they could, you know, maybe – try to stay competitive, but um, 
Pittsburgh's playing too well right now on both sides of the ball. I love Pittsburgh to cover 24.5 too, and I think they score a lot of points doing it. I think there's potential, once again, for Pittsburgh to get in the mid-40s or low-50s um, as, as far as the point total. Mike, in 11 games this year, there have been two teams that have held Pittsburgh under 30 points. Can you guess which two teams those are? Um, two teams have held Pittsburgh under 30 points. Um, I wish I could remember the Virginia Tech score. Um, 39-36. Okay, I knew, I thought they were in the 30s. Um, who held Pittsburgh to under 30 points? I have no idea. I couldn't even give you a guess, honestly. Did Penn State? No. Uh, Penn State lost 42-39. Okay. I, yeah, I couldn't even tell you. So, the week before the Clemson game on the road at Miami, ah. the Hurricanes won that game 51-28. That tied the low watermark on the year for points scored by Pittsburgh with the first week of the year when Pittsburgh played Villanova. <laughs> and Villanova held them under 30 points. 28-7, to Pittsburgh won that game. Yep, so, would never have guessed that. Against all, all comers for the rest of the year on the road at home, whatever doesn't matter. Pittsburgh has scored at least thirty points in every game. That's worth noting, considering. I mean, considering the point spread here, uh, Syracuse defense not great. Worth noting too, though, that Syracuse does an okay job of throwing the ball. I don't know that Zach Mahoney does a great job of throwing the ball, but Syracuse maybe with Eric Dungey does, and that's where Pittsburgh's been weakest. Um, I say that really just looking at the point total here is 69.5 points. I picked last week's game to go under for Pittsburgh. Uh, that was a 63-point total, and damn it, they went over, and I'm still kind of peeved about that. But, uh, like I said, I mean, my, my projection here is like 45-10. to 10. I think that they're going to keep Syracuse down enough that I don't think they're going to get fully to 70 points here. And I'm... I'm just kind of mentally preparing myself to get burned by that for a second straight week. It's that's a hard line. I wouldn't put money on that either. So yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Don't do that. Um. All right. Anything else, Mike? No, I'm good. All right, because we got to talk about one more game, and uh, we saved the uh, the best for last year. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Oh God. Also trying to also trying to get to that five win. APR bowl eligibility after, plateau. After what happened to them with the suspensions over academic dishonesty, I think it's pretty safe to say they won't be getting the APR designation this season. Yeah, that's a whole ordeal too. Um, we might have to talk about that next week. Uh, the Fighting Irish on the road against the number twelve Southern Cal Trojans. Uh, USC has won this game, or has not won this game, but they've won seven games in a row. Uh, they are on fire right now and have just been torching everybody in their path. The Trojans are a 17-point favorite in this game at 3.30 p.m. on ABC. Uh, I just I kind of think that rivalry game be damned, USC just might blow through Notre Dame in this game, Mike. Uh, USC by a lot. Uh, it's a weird start time. You know, you see Notre Dame-USC end of the year. They generally play a night game out in L.A. No, they're playing at 12.30 Pacific time because Notre Dame has just not been a factor all year long. I thought seeing Notre Dame in person last weekend against Virginia Tech, I think they're a team that's definitely improving. They're very young on defense. You've seen the strides they've taken ever since firing Brian Van Gorder. Who knew? Um, and offensively, they've been fine. They've definitely scored enough points to win, but they're just such a young team on both sides of the ball at a lot of major positions, um, major skill positions on both sides of the ball, really. 
and um, this is going to be the last game for Deshaun Kaiser. He's 99% going to the NFL. Um, if I had to put if I had to put any money on it, I'd I'd be shocked if he came back to Notre Dame. Um, but yeah, I like USC to win this game. They're a better football team. They're they're one of the best teams in the country over the last month and a half um, on both sides of the ball. Statistically, they've been incredible on offense and on defense. Really improving team. Clay Helton, you can throw all away throw away all of that banter about him potentially being on the hot seat so quickly. Um, he's got the team playing extremely well. They're in the top 15, obviously, number 12 in the college football playoff poll. Will they cover 17? I'm not sure. I mean, I think Notre Dame will be able to score some points in this game, but I do like USC to win this game comfortably. Um, if Notre Dame covers the spread, it would be a backdoor cover. I'm more inclined to say USC covers 17 and wins this game going away. I really like the Trojans to win this one by a lot of points. The other guy from USC that's been really nasty this year is Sam Darnold. Uh, he took over when USC was 1-3, and three and they haven't lost since. Uh, so that's worth no- noticing. Um, yeah, I think that USC gets it done. That's a lot of points to have to cover. Again, this has kind of been a running theme throughout this podcast because all these games have some very large spreads. Um, I think Sam Darnold and USC get it done here. I think that they're going to score a lot of points here. Give me USC to cover 17, uh, 38-17. Nice. But, I again, that's so many points, and Notre Dame still has the ability to score. So I would not, I would not bet against that spread either. Yep. Nah, fair enough. I'm with you. All right. Last thing we got to do here, Mike. Odds and wagers. Uh, I want to. We haven't really given a great update on this in a while. Uh, I'm on a cold streak right now, and I am not. You are not. You have won two in a row and three of your last five. Uh, I've lost three of my last four. Uh, I started the year what seven and one, and am now eight and four. Uh, you started the year. We could go, I guess, two and five, and you're now five and seven. Yep. So you're doing better. Yep. Um, about to break I'm on a even. Cold streak. You are about to break even. I'm on a cold streak. I'm going to break this cold streak with a spread that just looks wrong in every way, given last year's results, given kind of what they've done this year. And I'm the only hesitation that I have here is picking a freshman quarterback against a really good defense. But I think that Florida State has enough ways to beat you that give me the Seminoles to cover 7.5 against Florida. Uh, I don't see Florida scoring much of anything in this game, and I think if Florida State can score like 21 points, they should probably be able to cover 7.5 here. Um, So give me Florida State to cover 7.5 at home against Florida at 8 o'clock on ABC. You can quell all notions of being concerned about a freshman quarterback because you know who's not a freshman? Dalvin Cook. And he has potential to run all over a pretty good Florida State, uh, Florida State defense. He's going to run against himself. Um, scout team practice. Uh, he's got potential to run all over that Florida defense because the offensive line's been playing so well over the last few weeks. Um, the line for me that also looks wrong, Wake Forest BC, 36.5. Could this come back to bite me in the ass? Sure, it could, but I'm taking the under. Um, I, I don't see really any way, unless a bunch of weird stuff happens in this game, that they get to 36.5 points, I, or even 37 points. Um, if they get to 36.5 points, that'd be something. Give me uh, 
this is going to be way under. Give me that as my pick of the week. Um, I, I think I said Wake Forest 14, Boston College 10. That puts me at 24, which is well under a 36.5 point total. Um, I think it's a pretty safe bet this week that they'll go under. But, of course, weird stuff seems to happen in the ACC, so who really knows? Yeah, I've really been knocked off my high horse the last few weeks. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully you get more confident this week. Yeah, I mean, it really goes to show you that, you know, betting could really – it's hard to bet on football. I mean, point totals, point spreads, it's tough. It's not an easy thing to do. It's – I don't know. It's not a young man's game, but you and I seem to continue to play it, so <laughs> we'll just see. I'll break about even like I usually do. I mean, they do say that if, if you can get about 55% of your picks right, you can make a lot of money. Yep. Um, you don't have to get a whole lot more than 50%, but you do need to get more than 50%, so um, for what that's worth. But anyways, um, Mike, I just realized that we called this our Week 12 preview, and Week 12 was last week. We so did. So props to me for updating the Google Sheet right. It's okay. I don't think we referenced it being Week 12 that often, so I think we'll be in the clear. Yeah, it's been about an hour since we did that, but if you're still listening, you might remember those times. So apologies for that, but uh, Mike, enjoy your Thanksgiving celebrations. Uh, try not to work past noon. Absolutely and, uh, won't. So. If you do have to work past noon, try to like have a drink in hand and football on the TV so that you're distracted and happy in doing so. There's only one way to do it, Joey, and that's exactly what I'll be doing. I will try as hard as I can not to run any of this 5K. I will walk every step. Yep. Um, I will later be eating until I, uh, I can't eat anymore. Yep. I will take a nap. I will watch football. And then I'm going to spend my Saturday sitting around watching football as well until i got to go to one last fall wedding. Oh, uh, my Saturday God, night. again? Another wedding. Uh, yeah, again. Wow. Uh, one more. Wow. For old time's sake. Damn, man. What's that? Is that um, is that four or five? What are we up to now? Uh, this would be three. Okay, this not three. as many as I thought. Still a catastrophe that there have been that many <laughs> fall weddings for you to go to. Sorry to all your friends. Congratulations, being married and stuff. Um, brutal, yeah, happy occasion. Brutal, brutal timing. Very happy occasion. Have a great time. I will be uh, utilizing every last bit of data on my phone. That's why I like to hear. While we are at said wedding, so. Uh, I'm just glad that it was not scheduled during the Georgia Tech-Georgia game because I would have had to make a very tough decision. Yep. Um, luckily, that did not come to that. So, Mike, have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy your day. And uh, we will be back on probably Sunday to uh, recap all this action and later next week to get you guys ready for the uh, championship weekend. Yep. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Joey, and to all of our listeners whenever you're listening to this. Hope your day was great. Hope your day will be great. All that good stuff. Yeah, you guys uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Stay safe. Enjoy your families. Uh, enjoy the day. Enjoy the football. But until next week, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Go ACC. 